And welcome to the night school on my walk home. Night school on my walk home. Just talked to my buddy Nick, childhood friend, closest friends for my entire life. But he was talking about he had just gone to Knott's Berry Farm. It's a theme park in California. I've never been there. Apparently it has kind of an Old West theme. But he was saying in the saloon, he was getting a, getting a drink in the saloon at Knott's Berry Farm. And how they had these mannequins, or these, these kind of, yeah, mannequins, I guess you'd say, that are supposed to look like old-timey prostitutes. And how uh, he and his girlfriend were sitting there watching... And every single little kid who came in would come in and walk up and slap the prostitute mannequin. What we call slapping the mannequins. And and I asked him, I was like, were they just seeing each other do that? Like, were kids seeing other kids do that, which made them do that? And he said, no. (laughs) He said that even kids who just came in fresh off the street and saw those prostitute mannequins would walk over and slap them. And it was boys and girls. He even said that a little baby did it. Like a parent walked over with the baby or something and the baby did it. And then he also said he saw two teenagers walk by and one of them just kind of nonchalantly put their hand up and just kind of gently did it. Like not quite as deliberately as the kids, but it was like even the teenager felt the need to do that. And we were like, what is that? It's not like their parents are like, hey kid, you see those prostitute mannequins? They're subhuman. Slap them. It was like, that's interesting though, these little kids. Something about them. Maybe it had nothing to do with the fact that the mannequins were supposed to be old-timey prostitutes. Maybe it was just, maybe it was like the, the height Maybe they just look really appealing for a a slap. I don't know what it is, but he was just, he watched it for a while. And he noticed that every little kid, just about, tons of little kids, felt the need to slap these mannequins. But he said there was one girl, there was only one girl who, she went over and sat with them and had her parents or somebody take a picture she was the only one who didn't seem compelled to slap him, and I was like, oh, I hope that's not a bad sign. I hope that's not a <laughs> I hope that's not a sign that she's gonna become one. Or maybe she's gonna become a caseworker. Maybe she's gonna help women on the street. Maybe that's what that tells us, but it kind of blew my mind. Like, is there something primal in kids, in people? And the teenagers doing that too. The fact that even a teenager walking by lifted up their hand and nonchalantly sort of slapped the mannequin. It's like, is there something in kids, something primal, that's like, I need to slap that. I need to slap that person, that fake person. And then by the time this person was a teenager, was there something still in them compelling them to do that? But it it was kind of fading, which is why they did it so nonchalantly and effortlessly. Because you can't imagine adults doing that. That's one of those things that only kids could get away with. Kids going in and slapping these prostitute mannequins. Like trying to imagine an adult doing that. Like a bunch of adult men and women walk in to the saloon, the Knott's Berry Farm saloon, and they all go and they all slap the mannequin. That'd be pretty funny. 
I'd have to see. I'd have to go check it out. If I'm ever in the Knott's Berry Saloon, I'll have to check that out and see how I feel. Do I feel that magnetism? Is this why serial killers go after certain people? Is this why serial killers go after certain demographics? What is it in kids that makes them do that? Yeah, I got this thing we were talking about too about because he was he was talking about how they have kind of like an old west themed town there, or they own like there's some there's some connection between Knott's Berry Farm and old west some old west town, and we were talking about just like when there's almost not not a diorama, but like on a ride when they set up scenery and things like that scenery and objects. So there's such an allure to that. And I don't know what it is, but there's this kind of allure to the way scenery is set up on rides and in even in zoos. Because I was saying to him, I was like, that smell, like when you walk into the tropical exhibit, or some zoos, they'll have a tropical exhibit that simulates a rainforest storm. And in the tropical exhibit, they, they have that humidity piped in. And there's this smell to it. And he mentioned the smell of like a waterfall in one of those exhibits. If they have a simulated waterfall, how it gives off this sort of smell and vibe that's really attractive. But I feel the same way, like when I look back at, like my hometown changed so much just over the span of my childhood. Like it went from kind of a, more of a small town feel. You know, it's the suburbs of Seattle. You know, it didn't feel like it was in the, you know, it certainly wasn't in the middle of nowhere or anything like that. But it did have more of a small town feel, and that used to be true of Kirkland. And then as, as more money came in, as more people moved in, a lot more condos, a lot of McMansions and that type of thing. But there were these houses and these properties that you used to see growing up, like right in the downtown area. Like right near downtown, there used to be this house... And I think it was a log cabin. It was either a log cabin or a very rustic kind of red little cabin building. It was one or the other. My memory's kind of blurring. But it was, it had this big piece of property around it with this very like mossy grass and a creek running through it. Which is, that would be unheard of today. For there to be a property, a house in downtown Kirkland that would have a big piece of green property with a creek just kind of snaking through the property. And then it had these trees, like these weeping willow trees and stuff that draped the house. And how like thinking back on that almost feels like, it, it almost doesn't feel real. It almost feels like something you would see on a ride. Like if I were on a roller coaster or something, that almost seems like something you would just see from the, the roller coaster. And that's why I want to go back in time. <laughs> You know, I've talked about this before, but if I got a time machine, people would probably tell me I was wasting it. I was wasting the opportunity. Because if I got a time machine, I would, I would go back to places I've already been 20 years ago. Maybe, maybe not 20, that's a little too soon. But if I had a time machine, like for example, I'd go back to where I live in Olympia, like 40 years ago, 50 years ago, and just see how, I would, I would pay attention to how it smelled differently, what was different? I mean, a lot of would have, a lot would have been different, but I do that with my hometown too. I'd go back to my hometown in 1960 and just see how it felt, see what it looked like, 
I'd go to familiar places and just see if they felt the same, see if they looked the same or smelled the same. I just want to walk around. I mean, that's the, the cool thing about Back to the Future is he doesn't go anywhere that crazy. I guess in the one movie, they go to the Old West. But in the first movie, he just goes back to the 1950s, which wasn't that long ago at that point. I was, what, like 30 years earlier? That's the kind of thing I would do. I would just go back to a town that I already know, but go back to the 1950s or 60s. And you come across towns like that around America. I mean, there's towns here near Olympia, about a half hour away. And you go to those, and you really are transported to some 1950s small town. All the architecture, all the old bars. Often there's like one bar in town. There's like a tavern. There's an Elks Club or an Eagles Club. But I always enjoy that. That is kind of like a time machine. Where you'll just go back to some old town that's a half hour away. And you just kind of pay attention and notice what it's like. And it is like being on a ride. You know, it is like being in a theme park. And I think back to when I was growing up. Where so much of my childhood, so many of my childhood memories are just like being in the passenger seat while my mom drives to the store or drives to go go somewhere. And I would just look out the window and I remember looking out the window at that little cabin house with the creek running through it. Just things like that. Just looking at residences and not even looking at them like, oh, somebody lives there. But looking at them and just thinking like that, that looks like it's from something that doesn't look real. And you can put yourself in that mindset, you know? It's very easy to take your surroundings for granted, to get used to things looking the way they look right now. I mean, even just thinking about the way cars change. And I was walking down a suburban street and just looking at the, the cars that were parked along. And I was like, oh yeah, they're all white. They're all white, they're all like bubbly. They're all like some cross between a car and an SUV. They're all, they all look like Ford Explorers or something like that. Or not, not Explorers. They all look like uh, <laughs> Foresters. They all look like Subaru Foresters. Just interesting. And it's like you would not see that. Like there was a certain point in time. I mean, I'll see this like I'll be looking at old Mafia surveillance footage. And one of the reasons I enjoy that is not just because I'm interested in the Mafia but because there's a lot of nostalgia to it. Like, you'll be looking at the cars that are parked along the street, and they were newer cars then, but you just don't see that many cars like that. And there were so many years where you did. You know, it feels like up until about five or ten years ago, you would still see a lot of cars from the 80s and early 90s around. But what, that, you know, 20, 30 years passes, and you just don't see those anymore. But it's gradual you gradually start to see newer cars. And then you reach a point where you look at the cars parked on a random suburban street and you're just like, oh wow, yeah, all the cars look different now. And that'd be one of the strange things about going back in time is you'd be looking at cars and being like, oh wow, those are old cars. Not old timey, you know, Ford, whatever, I keep going back to Ford, but not the Model T. But even just seeing a bunch of cars from 1992, brand new, is going to take you out of your mind a little bit. And that's so much of what we're looking for. Something that just takes us out of our mind. 
And I think that's why all those things are attractive, why, you know, amusement park rides are so attractive. Like my friend commenting how he always feels so drawn to just the props, because that's, that's all they are. They're like cheap props. Like we were talking about Thunder Mountain Railroad at Disneyland and how it's like made to look like an old mining operation. And there's a mining shack and you'll see like pickaxes and things like that. And how you see those and it immediately transports you somewhere. Even though you know it's just some Disney prop. Even though you know you're at Disneyland just on some ride. How it manages to take you out of your head. That's probably what time machines would be best for too. <laughs> it's not that you want to see anything that crazy. You just want to get taken out of your own head a little bit. And it doesn't take much to do that. If you put the work in, you can do that. Put just a little bit of work in, you can take yourself out of your own head. It's like object meditation. I don't do that. I have done it, but I don't actively do object meditation. Although I think we all do that a little bit when we zone out. But if you just sit there and you stare at an object in your room, and you actually think about the shape of it, and you detach yourself, and how you go through this process of meditation while keeping your eyes open, which again, I don't do. I close my eyes, I do closed eye meditation. But how just having your eyes open while you're meditating and looking at a lone object and not, not changing your view, remaining fixated on it, it takes you out of yourself and you actually start seeing that object as something other than what it is. You know, you dissociate from it's a use. Like if you're staring at a sock on the floor, you know, you see it and you're like, it's a sock. It has a name. And because it has a name, we've given it a name. It has some kind of purpose or function. It's a sock. It's not supposed to be there. It either needs to be in a drawer, in the hamper, or on my foot. But if you just detach yourself and stare at it, how it gets very strange, you actually think about, like, what is that thing? <laughs> you just, you're kind of like, huh, you know, once I remove my entire concept of what this thing is, it's very strange to look at, but being able to do that about anything, you know, if you can do that about anything, you basically have your own amusement park, right? You have your own time machine, you have your own Knott's Berry farm. And you can just walk down the street and look at things and go, hey, this is all pretty weird, isn't it? This land is mine God gave this land to me this brave, this golden land to me. And when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains, I see a land where children.